0: So last week, we began a series called Come and See, and I'm excited because today, we're going to carry on Ken and Lynn's legacy, continue. I think this service, this series that we're, that we're doing is a, a testament of their life, but something they would want me to do, and if anything, when something like this happens, it just emboldens me to preach the gospel more, to, to be a, a greater presence in somebody's life more than I am now. And I told you last week that, you know, my life consists of coming to this office and preparing for service and doing the things that pastors do. And and what, what, what has happened with Ken and Lynn has inspired me to get more outside of these walls as I'm preaching to you all to do. Because as I've said before, as Paul says in Philippians, that we're partners in the gospel, right? It's not just me or Pastor Josh, or Pastor Elijah, or Pastor Jeff, the other Pastor Jeff. It's not just our responsibility to get out there and be representatives of Jesus to the world. It's all of us. And so last Sunday, what I talked about was our testimony and how important our testimony is. As Peter says that we are to be prepared to make a defense, right? For the reason of the hope that's in us. That is our testimony, that's the defense. And so, if we know our testimony and somebody asks us about Jesus or asks us about why we're in a good mood or, or why nothing ever seems to faze you or, you know, why are you so good at what you do on the job and I'd like to be more like you, then you have an opportunity to make a defense by giving your testimony. And so, I'd ask you last week to think about that. You know, look at your face in the mirror and tell yourself your testimony. Know it, get it in there. And, and the great thing about it is that testimony is evidence that you know Jesus. And if you don't have that, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute to have that testimony that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's the reason why we as the church are here. We've got to get out of the mentality that I'm going to come and just partake or come and just receive. The mentality has to be before you come to church on Sunday is i'm going to come with somebody to experience Jesus for themselves so the first couple of verses i'm going to read this morning is in John chapter 1 if you want to turn in your bibles you can verse 35 through 39 this is what John wrote he said the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? I love that question. How many people in this world are seeking Jesus? They just don't know it. Because what they want is they want hope in a world that's hopeless. They want peace in a world where there is no peace. They want joy in a world where there seems to be no joy. And they want love. And let's, let's be honest, there's a lot of people looking for love in all the wrong places, right? So what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will seek. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. John chapter 4, if you want to turn there, verse 28 through 30. So the woman left her water jar, and this is a Samaritan woman, left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is exactly what I want us to do. I want us to get outside of ourselves. I want us to put our needs aside. And I want us to go to people and say, come and see for yourself who Jesus is. This is something called a gospel connection. This is something that I want to be a part of our church in our DNA to the point where every Sunday if I see you and I'm not going to do this but there may be a conversation where I say what's the gospel connection you made this week? What is it? And I think it's just going to come naturally in our conversations because there's going to be people that you're going to be bringing with you that I've never met before and I'm going to know and you're going to know that we just made a gospel connection. And that's where we are literally connecting people to Jesus. Yes, we can do it out there, but I think we've arrived as a church to where we can bring them here and we're ready to receive them. So with that, let us pray. Father, I just want to thank you right now for everybody that's in this room, those that are watching online. I'm asking you to open their hearts to receive the word that you've given me today. I'm asking you to move in their life so that when they leave here today, this whole thing that we say about moving forward is not just a a nice little slogan that we say, but something that we're going to take seriously. And Father, I thank you that it's not our own strength or our own might, but it's by your spirit we're able to do it. And I just pray this right now over all these people here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, December of 19... Ninety-four, my girlfriend from Oklahoma came to visit me in Virginia. Her name is Lisa, who is now my wife. Yes. And so we stood up all night talking the very first night that she came uh, to see me. She flew in from Tulsa and uh, picked her up at the airport, brought her home, and we stayed up all night talking. And one of the things she asked me about was, so what are your thoughts about God? You know, are you open to learning more about him? And I know i probably been getting this a little bit wrong, but she was very sly and sliding it in there into the conversation. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm open. You know, and she knew that I was, I was Catholic. So she made a deal with me. She said this. She goes, you know what? I'm going to go to Catholic service with you while I'm here. But when you come and visit me in Oklahoma, you got to come to my church. And then we'll see where we land. And so I'm like, okay. So she obviously knew something that I didn't know. <laughs> so we went to Catholic Mass. And, uh, you know, she was very gracious about it. But then in March of 1995, when I flew out here, the first time I'd been to Oklahoma when I, we landed, or I landed, and she picked me up, and I was just like, wow, you guys actually have tall buildings here. <laughs> and, you know, and she's like, yeah, and do you want to know about the teepees or something? I mean, come on, you know, I mean, what do you think we are, you know? I mean, this is the United States, so. But anyway, first time this far west of the Mississippi River, and uh, we stepped in, in the Grace Fellowship, and let me tell you something. Wow. There was no Catholic mass. (laughs) But see, she had to have the guts to ask me to come and see. And I did. And it took some time for God to get a hold of me, but he did. It was the beginning of my journey in following Jesus. And I told you my testimony last Sunday about how, what, about 18 months later, in September of 96, I received Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and here I am today. So the come and see aspect of what I'm asking you to do, this gospel connection, is much what like Lisa did with me, is have the guts to step outside of your comfort zone and literally ask somebody. And I'm talking about everybody, from the youth to the, the middle-agers to the legacy people. I don't care who you are in this church and who it is that's watching online. I think the time is now for the church to start getting more actively involved and engaging people with the gospel. And I'm not even asking you to go out there and preach line upon line, precept upon precept, or have some preparation as far as what you would say, because we're going to learn here in a minute that really it's up to the Holy Spirit it's up to to God and the Holy Spirit to open the door of opportunity for you you just have to be ready as Peter said last week we talked about be prepared to have an answer a defense right you just have to be ready for that and when the Holy Spirit opens the door then it's an opportunity for you to walk through that and so we're going to talk about that this morning so if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 Colossians chapter 4 To give you a little bit of background on Colossians, Paul is sitting in prison right now, in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter to the church at Colossa. And this letter basically is to redirect the church who is being misguided. The teachers that are teaching the church are telling them basically that Jesus is not the Christ, that he is not God. And Paul is quick to correct that through this letter. So he's correcting them through this letter Making it very clear that Jesus is the fact, is the Christ, is God. Also talking to them about how uh, the church needs to be reminded that they need they need to put on the new self. Put down the flesh, put on the new self, that they are alive in Christ. And then he then closes with something. If you have the ESV translation, it says, further instructions. And I think we're there now as the church. We're ready for further instructions. So, and I love this because Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. And I think there's some of us in this room, me included, that sometimes feel that we're at the lowest point in our life or we're going through something difficult or we're going through a trial or we're needing something from God, because if He doesn't come through, I don't know if I'm going to make it, and that consumes our life to the point where we're not ready to move forward and make a gospel connection. And look what Paul writes. We're going to get to in that here in a minute, but he's sitting from in a Roman prison, and he writes this: God uses Paul mightily, and Paul is willing to put himself aside to be able to make a gospel connection. So this is what he says, beginning in verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to ought to answer each person. There is so much in these verses. What I want to do is I want to unpack it. I want to break it down. Because as I was searching through the Gospels and through the epistles, trying to see, okay, so what is going to be the call to action for our church to make these Gospel connections? I landed on this. And what I love about this, as I said before, Paul is in a low place in his life, yet he is still able to encourage the church. So in verse 2, let's go through this together. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfastly in prayer. What does that mean? That means, as I have said before, we have a connection with God continuously. This steadfast prayer This is not just five minutes in the morning before you go to work or an hour before you go to bed as you open your Bible or at lunchtime if you're taking a break you browse through your Bible app on your phone. Steadfastly in prayer means you're constantly in communication with God. You, You are open to hearing His voice. This is so important. This means that he's on the top of your mind as you're going through life. Now, how hard is that for us as believers, right? We live in a country where it's go, go, go. Job, family, athletic events, kid, you know, doing, doing a, a theater show or something. There, there's something going on in our life, always, to where I think we cut off that line of communication. And so I was thinking about that for a minute, and what God laid on my heart just this morning is that steadfastly in prayer is only effective if your relationship with me is strong. That hit me hard. That made me evaluate my relationship, my interaction with the Father. That relationship is key. To these doors, these gospel connections to to be open for us. That steadfast prayer is our strong relationship with God, that we hear Him more clearly. And see, I'm gonna leave this with you, and I think this is true actually. I know James said, as we draw near to God, He draws nearest to us. And I think sometimes we interpret that as, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do, in order for Him to get closer to me. Really, what that is is an invitation from God saying, No, 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 I want you to draw near to me so that you are closer to me. You feel closer to me. You know you're closer to me. I'm always close to you. I'm always around you. I'm omnipresent. I know everything about you. I'm omnipotent. So that steadfastly in prayer is so important. That is a representation of your relationship to him. And if we get that right, which is the very first thing that Paul says in the further instructions, then then the rest of this is going to follow. So he said, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I love that phrase, being watchful, right? In other words, you guard that prayer time. You guard that connection with God. You guard your relationship with him above everything else. You're constantly being watchful over it, like a soldier is watching over uh, the battlefield. And you do so with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Prayers means we are not focused on ourselves. We are not focused on our needs. We're not focused on what God can do for me. The Thanksgiving-type prayers, you're thinking about how much you love God and how much you're thanking him for all he has done for you. But you're also putting others before yourself. Because as we're going to see here in a minute, Paul is going to want us to be praying about other people. And praying with thanksgiving means we're putting ourselves aside. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. He goes, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. So what he's saying here is, as you're praying prayers of thanksgiving and being watchful over on your, on your own, I also want you to be praying for us, so us being the church. So as I'm praying for me to get revelation from God to communicate to you all every Sunday, or as I'm praying and asking God for direction as to how we're going to make gospel connections within this community from this church, my prayer is also over you all. And you can ask anybody here on staff My prayer has been that whatever I'm going to say today and what I'm going to ask you to do is going to hit home. It has to. And I'm encouraged. I mean, I see a lot of people that are in here, but we still have a whole lot more chairs we could put down. My prayer is not just for me and how we're going to impact this community, but how you all also are going to help us do that as a church. So at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So there's that door. That that prayer is, God, give me an open door of opportunity to reach somebody today with the gospel. Whether it's telling them about Jesus, whether it's being Jesus to them by just loving them, listening to them, as I said last week. We do a whole lot of preaching, but not enough listening as a church, do we? So listening to people, being there for people, And then at the right time, maybe even just inviting them to come and see for themselves. So that open door is so important. That is primary in our prayer. That is when I'm going through life as I am getting in the car and going somewhere, as I am working in the office, as I am going to the store, my mind is constantly connected, my heart is constantly connected to God, constantly willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, and that that Holy Spirit is telling us, that person right there, that's an open door. And you've got to be sensitive to that. So what's the open door for? It's to declare the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. Not like Jesus is a mystery per se, like he's just kind of out there, you know, like you can't really get to know him. No, it's, it's the gospel. It's the understanding that the gospel is, is very clear, and very understandable, and we don't deserve Jesus. And it's really a mystery, because, you know, as I scratch my head sometimes, I'm like, God, why did you even bother to save me? Right? We don't deserve this. We don't. And as much as I, and I, as much as I love Lynn and Ken, and they were so awesome, they would be the first ones to tell you that their works did not deserve God's grace. It was the fact that they placed their faith in Jesus, Amen. that allowed them to go to heaven. So it's a mystery that God would love us so much he would send his only son. And it should make you scratch your head a little bit, and it should make you grateful for what he's done for you. Amen. Which further sets up why you should be willing to find and look for those open doors of opportunity to invite people to come and see. And Paul goes on, on account of which I am in prison. So again, it goes back to how, as Jesus said, narrow is the way and difficult is the way, so few find it, right? So the path that he has called all of us as believers on is difficult. It's going to be hard. Paul is saying, I'm in prison because of it. So there's going to be some difficult times. But it's not an excuse to quit we got to keep going. And somehow Paul was able to write and hand these things off to Timothy or to one Seamus to get these letters out. He was still able through this difficult time being in prison to get the word out. So why? Why do we do this? Why do we look for an open door? Why do we declare the mystery of Jesus even when it's hard? Why? In John chapter 4, if you want to turn there, this is the summation of the Samaritan woman at the well and her encounter with Jesus, which I've been referring to over the last three to four weeks. There's so much in that account. So in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. There you go. That's the reason why we give our testimony, so people believe on Jesus, right? And she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, this is important, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow. Wow, right? So yeah, you're going to have people that are going to believe because of your testimony and because of how you treat them. So inviting them to come here and see for themselves just drives that home, right? Like I'll give you an example. When when my mother-in-law... And now my wife was telling me, you need to receive Jesus, you need to receive Jesus. I was like, yeah, I know, I know about Jesus. Yeah, I know, he, I, I know he died on the cross for my sins and raised again three days later. I know all of that. But then I came here in September of 96, heard God speak to me directly, and I raised my hand and received him right then and there. I came and saw, and now I know, not just because of their testimony, but because of what God did in me when i was here at this church at the old property <laughs> so that's the reason why man i tell you what i want to get people in here yes they've heard about jesus but then i want them to experience him here in this building Amen. so that they go out there and they replicate or they make disciples just like lisa did with me and like i'm doing with you and others that i've come acar- across that is so important that we continue that cycle Going back to Colossians, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. How often do we present Jesus to people and we don't make it very clear? It is, is such a simple thing to communicate. Granted, it literally took all of heaven to make that happen. But it's easy to communicate. It's easy to talk to somebody about what Jesus has done for you. But sometimes we throw so much Christianese in there that it doesn't make it very clear. How you might ought to speak. Honestly, I feel like if the very least that you do is invite somebody to church and say, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to ask you to come with me to church because God has changed my life. Very clear. Very simple. It doesn't have to be elaborate. So Paul says, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And he goes on in verse 5. He says, and this is very important, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. So who are the outsiders? The outsiders are those that are not yet believers. In Paul's day, it was the Gentiles. Well, we're all Gentiles. So, we need to walk in wisdom towards those outsiders. I think the church today is getting that wrong. Because when we walk with outsiders, I think we walk with judgment, condemnation, talking down, this air of superiority. Not very humble, not very loving. We are not really walking in wisdom towards these outsiders. That is something that we've got to get right. And I've talked about that before. But when we walk towards outsiders, it needs to be with love, it needs to be with humility, it needs to be with the understanding that, hey, I'm also a sinner. And I'm not better than you. And by doing that, we will make the best use of the time. Colossians 4, verse 6. Paul goes on. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The key word is gracious. Gracious. Grace is in the word gracious. Grace meaning God's love through you. Grace meaning you show them unmerited favor. They may be, I don't know, at the water cooler at work, talking bad behind your back but you grace them. They may not deserve your kind words, but you grace them. Season with salt. You know, that saying, oh, you're a little salty today. That's not what Paul's talking about. All right? Now, season with salt. the, The words that you're speaking, the words that you're speaking are, are, are meant to preserve Amen. hey you're a sinner now I wouldn't necessarily just hey you're a sinner no but you know this is what God did for me my life was a wreck you know I did this this and this but Jesus saved me from my sin and because of him I'm here today that can happen to you too The words that you speak are like salt. They preserve. And the best example that I have is in John chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Verse 7 through 11. And as they, this is the Pharisees, continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. Wow, that's powerful, man. You think about that for a second. Here's a woman they threw at Jesus' feet, an adulteress that by law should be stoned to death. Right there. And here is God himself in the flesh getting right down in the dirt with her. Looking past the obvious, she's guilty, and he doesn't condemn her. Instead, he seasons his words with salt. I don't condemn you either. From now on, go and sin no more. It it should resonate with you that no matter how bad people are, no matter what they believe in, That we should be able to get down in the dirt with them, whatever they're going through, and point them to Jesus through our actions, through our words. And it's so important.